Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 5. And let's go ahead and read it. The Bible says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. Anyone use that word this week? Okay. Uh, And covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I'm gonna preach on this topic this morning, the believer and sin, the believer and sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks again for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, Lord. Uh, Give me exactly the words to say. I pray that uh, everything that is said and done would drive us closer to uh, King Jesus. And it's in your name that we do pray. Amen. One of the most sinister, destructive, awful diseases known to mankind is cancer. Cancer is defined as the uncontrolled growth of abnormal cells in the body, and it develops when old cells do not die and instead grow out of control, forming new abnormal cells. According to the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, there are approximately 41 types of cancer, not including other forms and mutations of those cancers. Left untreated, cancer can grow, metastasize, and ultimately claim the life of the individual with the disease. And while surgery may be used to remove cancerous masses in the body, the only way to rid the body of cancer is to kill it at the cellular level. Sin is much like a cancer, just 10 times worse. If left alone, it can grow and destroy a person's life. Make no mistake, sin is not a joke. It's not something to mess around with. Just like you wouldn't let a diagnosis of cancer go untreated, you must not let sin go untreated in your life. Now, based upon our study last week of verses one through four, we know as believers, if you are a follower of Jesus, if Christ is your savior, we know based upon last week, we have been risen with Christ, amen. We know that we are dead and our life is hidden with Christ in God. So positionally, and this is an important thing to remember as you journey your Christian life, positionally, before God, you were raised with Christ, hidden with Christ in God, you were seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Positionally, before God, you are declared righteous and in right standing with God. Hallelujah for that truth. Positionally, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. If you see verse four, it says, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. This is speaking to our glorification, which is coming soon. And that glorification is to be saved 
from the presence of sin forever. Now, positionally, we are already in that state, according to the scripture. But practically, we're still on this earth. We still live in the flesh. I look around and I don't see anyone glorified today. We are being sanctified, which is the practical outworking of the positional reality that we are justified. In other words, sanctification, it's the lifelong process of being made into the image of the one that made us righteous. And I don't know about you, but sanctification isn't always easy. (laughs) It can be actually very challenging, okay? This is where we are. Positionally, we're right before God. Practically, we still battle and struggle with sin. Um, uh, This morning, prime example, I got up and I came to the church and the projectors were not working and I realized I still struggle and battle with sin because man, I was so frustrated. Positionally, we're right before God. Practically, we struggle with sin. The apostle Paul even talks about this being true in his life. In Romans 7, he says this, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Can anyone testify to that this morning? Being a born-again Christian, you delight in the law of God inside, like deep down at your very core. You love God and you love everything about his word and your ultimate desire is to please him. But he continues, he says, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He says earlier in the text, you can probably remember it, he says, What I want to do, I don't do it. And what I do, I don't want to do it. It's this constant struggle in sanctification. Paul understood sin is something that we will battle with until we reach eternity. And if you're here this morning and you have already conquered all of your sin and are sinlessly perfect, um, I'm going to skip the meeting and meet with you in my office. I love the secret. So, We know that this is true, and through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells the Colossians what they need to do with sin. This, remember, all of this comes on the heels of saying you're risen with Christ, Christ is your life, you're dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's setting the stage for all of this. In other words, because this is true, do this. Do this. Our text calls us, verse 5, to mortify our members which are upon the earth. What does it mean? And how should each of us that have been risen with Christ behave toward sin? So as we look at these verses that we've just read, I'd like to examine two things, the command and the basis for mortifying sin. So number one, the command for mortification. Verse five, mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth. The life that has been risen with Christ is a life that is taking direct action against sin. He says, mortify your members which are upon the earth. To mortify is to kill, to put to death. It can literally be taken to mean to make a corpse of. Paul is speaking of putting to death uh, 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 and of putting the sin to death, excuse me, and putting the flesh to death. He talks about it in Romans and Galatians, Romans 8. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Galatians 5, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So when he speaks of mortifying your members upon the earth, 
he is speaking of putting to death the sins that are in your body. Now, he's not instructing a type of self-mutilation or a type of self-harm to the human body. He's telling the Colossians to take serious action against the sin that continues to dwell in them as they are still on this earth in their body. The word mortify indicates this is a very serious matter. Sin is not meant to be coddled or covered. It is meant to be killed. So in this matter, Paul details two specific groups of sin that must be killed. Now understand, when we see lists, and I don't know about you, I'm pretty type A. When I see a list, it's like, I gotta get this done. These things aren't like, if you check these boxes, cool beans, you've mortified sin. This isn't like a legalistic list, okay? This is something that you are going to struggle with every single day. So be busy about the work. First, sins of desire, okay? The sins listed in verse five are sins that find their roots roots deep inside of our hearts. And as I, as I was studying this, it seems that, that this list is in a backward progression, if you will. It starts on what happens on the outside and it traces its way all the way back to what's going on in the heart, okay? First, fornication. The Greek word is porneia. It covers all illicit or immoral sexual behavior. The only biblically moral sexual behavior is between one man and one woman for one lifetime in the covenant of marriage. So anything outside of that is what he's referring to. Fornication. Next, uncleanness. You can translate this word as impurity. It's the impurity of mind and heart that leads uh, to the fornication just mentioned. Next, inordinate affection. This is lustful passion or being led about by passions of unbridled lust. Next, evil concupiscence. We don't use that word anymore. Concupiscence is an archaic word. It means desire. So you could say this is evil or wicked desires. Next is covetousness. This is interesting. All these things seem so intense. And then covetousness? What is covetousness? Desiring something that you don't have, right? I like the way Matt Chandler said it, though. He said, covetousness is an accusation against God. When you covet, you make an accusation against God that he is not good, that he hasn't done what's best for you, that he is cruel, that he withholds from you what is good for your flourishing. You make an accusation against God that is a lie and smears his character. Covetousness. And then last of all, idolatry. What is idolatry? Most simply, idolatry is worship that is misplaced. So all of these sins find their root in idolatry because ultimately the sins listed are behaviors and desires that are set on this earth, not on things above. These are things that when we worship at the throne of self, we may find ourselves doing. And it makes sense. When our hearts are set on ourselves, fulfilling our own desires, we worship at the altar of self, we fall into idolatry, we tend to desire things that are not our own. Our hearts burn with wicked desires. Those desires give birth to evil passions that control us. Those passions lead to impurity and uncleanness of thought and life. And unchecked, that impurity can lead to fornication or sexual immorality. What does Paul tell them? Kill those sins. And look how serious it is. Look at verse six. 
for which thing's sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. If it wasn't bad enough, he says these things are the things that God's wrath is going to be poured out upon. The people, the children of disobedience that walk in these sins will face the wrath of God. So this is no light matter to God either. But he, he provides somewhat of a comforting reminder. Verse 7, he says, In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. You used to live in these things. You used to walk in these things, but you don't anymore. He's, he's telling them, you don't live there. You've been risen with Christ. You're dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Don't go back there. Kill those sins. The sins of desire. But he lists another list of sins. The sins of division. Verse 8 says, but now you also put off all these. In other words, don't stop at verse 5. This is, is this not our tendency? Self-justification? Oh, well, I didn't do that. So I'm okay. No, no, Paul's like, hey, let me cover the whole spectrum. Sure, you didn't cheat on your wife, but you may have been angry at somebody. So don't do that either. Kill it. So he continues. He says, uh, it, he begins here, verse 8, and this is the opposite, okay? Last time we saw a backward progression, outside in. This time we're going inside out. First is ang anger. This is a feeling within the soul of intense or habitual anger. It's like the knee-jerk reaction to things that don't go your way. And this ties in perfectly with idolatry because if we are worshiping ourselves and someone goes against our God, which in that case is us, the only thing we can do is become angry at them. Next is wrath. Wrath turns it up a notch and can be considered to be a boiling or seething anger that outbursts. It's not enough just to feel it in your soul. Wrath bursts out and lashes out. Next is malice. This is ill will or the desire to injure. It's the idea of harnessing the anger and wrath in your soul to intentionally wound someone. Next is blasphemy. It's the Greek word blasphemia. You can translate this word as slandered. It's often used in the Greek to communicate speech that dishonor or disfames God. But in this case, it's used of speaking slanderously of someone created in the image of God. Next is filthy communication, lewd or obscene speech. This may include the use of four-letter words that we know we probably shouldn't say, but based upon the context of this time, this is speaking of speech that damages and wounds a person. Someone may push you over and you cut your knee and you'll get over it eventually. But if someone says words that cut to your soul, you feel that for a very long time. And last of all, he says in verse nine, lie not one to another. The end of these sins is lying to each other. Because we will do and say whatever is necessary to get ahead or look better than we truly are. Because we are worshiping ourselves. The sins of division, these are sins of division because they can lead to the division of the body of Christ. Look at how he says it. He says, lie not one to another. Who's he, who's he writing this to? A church, a gathering of believers. He's saying, hey, don't lie to each other. Don't seek to get yourself ahead. And all of these sins, they're works of the flesh. 
Galatians 5 says this, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These sins, these sins of desire and division must be attacked and killed. They cannot live. They must be destroyed. Let me ask you, do you see sin as something truly ugly and destructive? But let me say it a different way. Do you see your sin as something truly ugly and destructive? Because, yeah, I might see my wife sin and think, oh, I can't believe she would do that. That's horrible. Do I feel the same way about my own sin? Do you realize that sin and the enemy are out to destroy you? James says this, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And what's the end game? When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Peter is told, uh, his audience, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So how do you respond to sin? Is your tendency to cover your sin? Do you try to hide the lust that is festering in your heart? Do you tend to sweep your self-worship under the rug? Do you seek to rationalize the way that you speak of your brothers and sisters? Do you give your sin a pass because, oh, things are hard right now. I, I couldn't help it in the moment. In his book, The Mortification of Sin, John Owen said, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from his, this work. And probably one of the best lines in that book is this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sin is not a joke. You know, you don't come into church on Sunday morning and get your coffee and pull out a packet of strychnine and add some to your coffee and think, I'll be okay. But I can gossip about that person. It's just a prayer request. I, I, can, I can get angry at my kids like, did you see what they did? I can justify my actions. No, sin isn't a joke. Sin isn't a joke. If, if you came into the church tomorrow and you walked in my office and I was sitting in my office and I was petting a king cobra on the, on the head, you would think, that guy's an idiot. But we sit there and do the same thing with our sin all the time. Don't play around with it. Sin must be destroyed and cut off before it destroys you. And I hate to say it, but we could probably take time to tell story after story of people who didn't get serious about sin, and now their lives are just ruined. Mortify your sin. But number two, we see the basis for mortification. The basis for mortification. How is this possible? What is the basis for the work of mortifying our sin? Look in verse nine. It says, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. This is interesting. The phrase is, seeing that you have put off 
and have put on are both aorist participles in the Greek. What's that mean? That means that these actions are unique and unrepeatable. So he's, what's he's doing? He's calling us back to our justification. He's calling us back to who we are positionally. Your old man is dead, Romans 6. You're, you're new in Christ. You've been raised to life in Christ. You're new. The basis for your mortification is connected to your new identity. This one-time action of putting off the old man and putting on the new shapes the course of the rest of our lives. Being raised with Christ, verse number one, is the beginning of a new life in Christ. What does 2 Corinthians 5 say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The reason we must kill sin and put off unrighteousness is simply because that's not who we are anymore. Even Paul's language in verse seven says this, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. It's all past tense. This isn't you anymore. You're new. You've been raised to life in Christ. These sins that we must be killing are markers of the old way of life. These things used to be true of us, but there has been a change. There is a new way of life that has been given to us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our new identity requires that we take sin seriously. That our lives look differently than they once did. You may not be who you should be, but you are not who you once were because nothing of you, but because of Jesus. So the gospel has given me a new identity. I'm sure some of you are like, you haven't said gospel yet. It's gotta be coming. There it is. The gospel has given us a new identity. I'm no longer known by the sins of the past, but by the life of Christ. So because of this, I must kill sin. The basis for my mortification of sin in my life is connected to my new identity, but it's also the catalyst for a changed life. Look at verse number 10. He says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Because I have a new identity in Jesus, everything going forward is to be marked by him. This new man is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ through a renewing of knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is the word renewed, it's present tense. So you could translate this as being renewed. Right here, right now, today, the person I am in Christ is being renewed. How so? It continues, in knowledge after or according to the image of him that created him. My new man is renewed as I know more about Jesus and as I sink deeper into the gospel. And as that knowledge deepens, my resemblance changes. Look what it says. It says, renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The word image can literally mean likeness or similarity in appearance. So when I'm renewed in knowledge of Jesus Christ, my resemblance looks less like me and more like Jesus. So we should be actively killing sins of desire because those things make us look more like the world than they do Christ. Those sins betray the new creations that we are for the sinful lifestyles that we once lived. But look how this continues to flesh itself out. Look at verse 11. 
where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In the new man, there is no longer human distinctions in place. And this could be like a whole sermon in and of itself. It says, neither Greek nor Jew. National differences are eliminated in Christ because he's made us a new people. Circumcision nor uncircumcision. Religious differences are eliminated in Christ because it's not about a religious sect, but about our risen Savior. Barbarian, Scythian, cultural differences are eliminated in Christ because he's united us to God and made us one. Bond nor free, social differences are eliminated in Christ because the ground is level at the foot of the cross and ultimately he ends it there. Christ is what? All and in all. Christ is supreme. He is superior and he is in each believer. So there's no room for the sins of division. No believer should ever conjure up a superiority complex over one of their brothers or sisters. Because it is only by the grace and mercy of Christ that we have salvation. It is only through Christ that our life has been hidden with Christ in God. So we should be killing the sins of division because doing those things betray the very family of God. So are you being renewed every day in the knowledge of Christ? Are you sinking deeper into the gospel? Second Corinthians says this, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. What it's saying is there should be transformation into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. You shouldn't look the same today as you did 10 years ago in Christ. Is this true of you? Are you living in a way that promotes unity in the body of Christ? Are you actively killing the sins of division that undermine the body of Christ? Are you daily renewing the new man? Every day, in the book, on your knees, begging God to make you more like Jesus. And let me ask you this, what action are you taking against your sin? Another question, are you taking action against your sin? Because it's a lot easier to not do anything about it. So are you taking action against sin? Are you letting sin just sit and fester? Or are you taking that sin, dragging it into the light of God's word, and with the sword of the spirit, killing it? This, this thing of mortification, it's the idea of taking it out back, shooting it in the head, emptying the clip, burning the body, disposing of the ashes, and never looking back. That's how like intense this is supposed to be. So what are you doing with your sin? Are sins of desire or division sins that go unchecked and unstopped in your life? I'll close with this. The words of John Owen again. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. 
come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.